Open with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2. It's on page 59 in the uh, blue Bibles there in the pew in front of you if you'd like to follow along. I'll read it for us before we dive in and see what the Spirit of God says by the Word of God to us today. This is Luke chapter 2. We'll be in verses 22 through 38. Familiar story you might have heard before around the Advent season, uh, around Christmas time, concerning an event that happened in the temple after Jesus' birth. Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said to him about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are here today to feast upon the nourishment that you provide in your word by the presentation of the good news of the gospel. So I pray that we would hear it and you would humble every proud heart and encourage every humble heart and exalt your Savior before our eyes today. In Jesus' name, amen. The question, what are you waiting for, comes to mind often. When we, see, when we think about a holiday season especially, or uh, a new shift in the season of life coming our way, whether it's the anticipation of a Christmas or a birthday, or the birthday of one yet born, we're waiting for something. We're waiting for something very, very good. We spend a lot of our time in life waiting for things. Kids, you're going to spend a lot of your life in line, by the way. I mean, to burst your bubble. You have a lot of that to look forward to. But those who wait for God to do what He said He will do 
will never be disappointed in their waiting. You will never be ashamed of having waited for God to finish what he began. He will do it. He will do it every time, and he will do it completely for his glory and your good eternally. So here now we see in God's word two people who were waiting for something. And the difference between these two people and the whole rest of Israel is what they were waiting for and whether they believed God would actually do it. So I want you to believe today from God's word. I believe the Lord is calling us in his word today by his spirit to believe that when God says he will do something, he will do it. And he will make us fit for it while we wait. His promises are worth waiting for every time. See that in three ways. The first, we see it in a shadow meeting its substance. There were many things in the Old Testament. We can read all throughout the scriptures that made us see more of God in part that were later revealed more clearly throughout the scriptures. And then we see in the interaction with Simeon, that he was looking for God to meet this shadow with its substance. He was, he was ready to see the very thing, the reality that this shadow was pointing to. A shadow is not the thing, but it looks like the thing. When you see your shadow fall on the ground in front of you, it looks like you, but it's not you. In the same way, the ritual of the firstborn dedication, the firstborn redemption was not a thing, but it pointed to a greater reality. Simeon knows it, and Simeon teaches us about it. And then with the prophetess Anna in the temple that day, we see that while Simeon had a transformation of his view of death, she was able to have a reversal, a transformation of her whole life, waiting for 84 years in the temple for God to finish what he began. So let's take these in turn. Verses 22 through 24, we see a shadow meeting its substance we see a, a picture meeting its reality. You see, in three verses, three times repeated the phrase, in the law of Moses. Jesus has been born, and there is a ritual in Israel for something to be done for the firstborn child. This would have been something that everybody knew and everybody was super familiar with in the temple that day. In the temple, if you saw a, uh, a young family with their firstborn child walking in with a child in one hand and a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in the other hand, you would have had an awful lot of history called to mind. This comes from Exodus chapter 13. God is teaching his people, whenever he instituted this in the Exodus, when he was leading his people out of slavery in Egypt, he wanted them to know this. He wanted them to know something and to remember it regularly in their life together. That salvation looks like this. Salvation looks like God's people in captivity, unable to get themselves out, being redeemed out of that slavery through providing a sacrifice. He showed them that in the way he delivered them from Egypt. They were physically enslaved in Egypt and they could not deliver themselves and God led them out by a mighty hand. And in Exodus 13, he says, you're going to remember I did that. Because every single time a firstborn is born into a family, you're going to bring him to the temple, and you're going to symbolically redeem him by providing a sacrifice for him. Essentially buying him back, buying his life, 
with the provision of a sacrifice. So, this was a ritual that shaped their identity. When a, when a person in Israel thought about who they are, they were supposed to think, first and foremost, I am one who was purchased out of slavery by God himself for his worship and enjoyment. That's who I am, and I remember that every time I see family walking into the temple with their firstborn, just like my older brother was, or just like I was, I was redeemed through sacrifice, much like our fathers were redeemed from Egypt through the Passover. Luke is very, very interested in us remembering this. He quotes that very passage that every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This is what was happened, this is what was given in the law of the Lord. And it ends with the very sacrifice given, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, that was not plan A in the sacrifice. It was supposed to be a lamb. However, there was a provision made for the poor. If you couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so we see here in, Jesus, in, here in Luke's bringing all this to mind, this redemption out of slavery. We're supposed to be looking for this. This is a shadowy ceremony that points to a future reality, we see Jesus himself engaging in it. The very one who was going to be the sacrifice that led his people out of slavery to sin and death into the promised land where they could enjoy his worship as, their, as his people, this one participated in the very shadow that pointed to him, the substance. And the sacrifice given is one for the poor. Now, this story is very character-heavy, so we're supposed to pay attention to who's in it. Simeon, Anna, Mary, Joseph, the boy Jesus. Something they all have in common is they're an absolute nobody. When you see Luke, in, in Luke or Acts, talking about the Pharisees, the, the notable ones, the religious leaders, they're usually the ones that are opposing Jesus. The Lord loves to use the nobodies, the people who are not famous, people who are not well-known, to display His glorious salvation. Throughout Israel's history, it was usually the king who was leading the people into sin. It was the priests who were corrupting the worship. There was always a remnant. There was always a handful of people that were still worshiping God, waiting for Him to do what He promised, not selling themselves out to other gods or other powers for their redemption. And so we meet Simeon, the one who was waiting for God to do what he said he will do. It says he was righteous and devout, righteous in his dealings towards others, devout in his dealings with God. And Simeon was waiting for the shadow's substance. He knew what salvation was going to look like because he saw this rite happening all the time in the temple. He knew that God was going to redeem his people out of slavery once and for all. He was going to lead them into all the wonderful things he'd been promising from the very beginning. And the Lord revealed to him that because he was waiting for the comforting of Israel, the Holy Spirit showed him he was not going to see death before he saw the Christ. When you get older and your eyes quit working, you get to where you can appreciate the things you can see. And Simeon was getting to a point where he thought that the next thing he was going to see was his own death. But the Spirit of God comforted him, saying, you're not going to see death until you see the Christ. So how does he respond? Verse 29. Verse 28 says, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
when God does what he promised to Simeon personally, he gets more than he even thought he would. He didn't just see, Matthew Henry comments, that he actually saw and took him up in his arms more than what he was promised. He didn't just get to see the Christ, he held the Christ right there face to face. And what happened to Simeon when he saw the Christ? It transformed his view of death. Seeing Christ meant that Simeon could see death in peace. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. He can greet death as a friend that will take him to his maker because he has seen the Christ. He can face it in comfort, face it in peace. Why? Verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation of the Gentiles, for glory to your people Israel. Simeon knew that he wasn't just seeing something significant for himself. He was seeing God save the world when Jesus showed up. But here's the thing. All Simeon saw was a little boy. This newborn child that God had promised would be the one to save the world. He, uh, he didn't see the crucifixion. He's not seeing the resurrection. Not even seeing Pentecost. He's not seeing the Holy Spirit of God come down and establish the church and see it spread to all the nations. But for Simeon, someone who knew what it was like to anticipate that God was going to do what he said he would do, it was as good as done when he saw Christ. It was as good as done for Simeon because he was used to believing that God was going to do what he said he would do. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. It's not finished yet, but it might as well be because God said it. And he further interprets it for the parents gathered there. Verse 33, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon says two things about Christ. One, he is the comfort that Israel was anticipating. All the promises of God find their yes in this one right here, this Jesus. He's here, and he's bringing with him all the riches. He didn't leave it all behind in heaven to come and get us out or to, to do something for us alone. He brought with him the very comfort that God meant for his people to have from himself. He brought the riches of heaven with him to the world, comforting all those who were waiting for the comfort promised. The light for revealing to the Gentiles, the nations, all kinds of people, and glory for the people Israel those who were waiting for that promise. But also, he says to his parents, this child is going to be the occasion for a whole lot of bad news and a whole lot of good news as well. The rise and fall of many. A sign that is opposed, revealing the thoughts of many. You go three chapters later, chapter 6, and you find Jesus saying about... Uh, you're either for me or, or against me. You're seeing things like if you don't love God, you uh, or if you don't love your neighbor, you hate God. You're, he, he's, he's not concerned about keeping the peace, keeping the status quo. He has come to upend everything that has put itself to oppress the people of God. He has come to remove that, reverse it, and show us the true heavenly values that the 
people waiting for God's comfort were meant to have. Revealing the thoughts of many hearts. He, he's going to go on in Luke chapter 20. The same author records for us the parable of the wicked tenants. The parable of the wicked tenants was when Jesus told a story about the Pharisees. And the point was basically, you all are entrusted with keep taking care of God's people, but you're actually feasting on it and killing the master's servants. And the, those who uh, he was telling that parable about perceived it was about him and wanted to kill him that very hour because he revealed their thoughts. He revealed what was in their heart. This child being a light, revealing the glory of God in the sight of all the peoples, revealing the comfort that was meant to come to those who are waiting for it, is also the light that reveals what's going on in the hearts of those who have rebelled against God. It's a, it's a rude light shining in and, and exposing what people would rather stay hidden. But it is good news for them as well. It is good news for everyone, the arrival of Christ. Because if you are waiting for God's comfort, if you're waiting for God's salvation, if you've been walking with the Lord for some time, you can look to Christ. You can look to Him offered to you in the supper today. You can hear of His Word preached from this pulpit or sung in these wonderful songs. And you can take great delight knowing that God will do what He said. But also, if you find your heart revealed more than you'd like, if you find your traditions, your desires, your preferences, your habits, your secrets getting pressed against by the Word of God, that should not be a time of unsettling for you, but an occasion to say, Lord, you've spoken, and what you've spoken is very good, and it is good for me. And so it was for the prophetess Anna as well. The shadow met its substance with the ceremony of the firstborn. Simeon recognizes it and celebrates it as the light come into the world for the sight of all the nations. And then Anna, while Simeon had a transformed view of his death, Anna gets a transformed view of her life. She was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. These are probably details that tell us where she's from. The tribe of Asher would have been from out of, considered from out of town in the temple. Temples in Jerusalem, it's where the kingdom of Judah was, and Asher was a tribe that had been considered more or less having sold out, uh, not having been around. Anna was not, fr she was from out of town when she was in the temple. But nevertheless, there she was. She had left her homeland. She had left familiar. She had left where her father's household and had come to be in the temple night and day. And this Asherite widow gets to be the first to announce in Jerusalem that their Savior has come. The Lord loves a good reversal. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, then as a widow until she was 84. The numbers are supposed to seem backwards to us. This is supposed to be a, a, a sad thing. You're supposed to live with your husband till you're 84 and then maybe seven years a widow and ripe old age, lots of grandkids to remember you. But for Anna, it was a little more upside down than she might have liked. But what did she do with that? She did not depart from the temple, worshiping, fasting, and prayer night and day. And her waiting... Her worshiping, her fasting and praying, her asking for God to fulfill what he promised, she gets to see it. 
She gets to see what she prayed for, what she fasted for night and day. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to her, all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Her waiting becomes announcing. Her 84 years are vindicated in a moment. Now put yourself in her shoes for a moment. Uh, in the temple for an awfully long time. She w- she's probably seen in her going out and coming in as, oh, poor Anna, what a sad, sad story. Oh, if she had only been able to live with her husband longer or have more children or have a household to go back to, but here she is in the temple. So many people probably pitied Anna. But what does the story end with her doing? Verse 38 giving thanks to God, speaking of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, if you were to ask her today, do you, do you uh, regret spending all that time in the temple, having nowhere else to go? Did you not have anything better to do than be at the temple praying, fasting, worshiping? She would say, absolutely not. Not one day, not one moment, not one prayer, not one moment of fasting, not one psalms sung up to heaven, asking God how long was wasted because she sees God do what he said he would do. Those who love Christ most, when we, we can measure our, our maturity, how, how much we're growing in our discipleship by how much joy Christ's arrival brings to us. His presence here among us, His future coming, His promise to once and for all lead us to a new heavens and new earth. That's the goal of our Christian discipleship. That's the goal of our maturity. We should be growing more and more to be more and more satisfied with that. I want to apply these truths in a few different ways to different stages of life. Young, old, wherever you find yourself in life, I believe God's Word speaks to you today. What are you waiting for? Let's return to that question. What are you anticipating? If you're young, if you're younger, if you're you're, uh, just, just getting started in life, you might have a lot to look forward to. Kids, you really can accomplish a lot in life. You, you, uh, You have so much to look forward to. You don't have bills. You don't have people needing things from you all the time. You can be whatever you want. You get to go to school. You get to learn. You get to achieve and dream. Right now is a really good time to think about Christ. It's a really good time to think about who Christ is. Every week you probably come here regularly. You see the Lord's Supper being passed around. You hear Jesus Christ announced from this pulpit. You need to think about that. Christ is better than any gift you could ever receive because Christ gives you a life that will never die. Christ can bring you to a source of joy that will never run out. See, you're tempted to live for a lot of things. There's a whole lot of cool stuff held out to you that you should live for this. You should achieve this. This is what the good life looks like. Every time you go outside, every time you go on the internet, every time you're around your friends, you're being told this is what's worth living for. But listen to your big sister, Anna, this morning. Listen to what the Spirit of God says to you, children, through your brother and sister, Simeon and Anna. Everything in this world will pass away. And when you come to the end of your life, you will not 
be disappointed having spent your life living for Christ, having spent your life enjoying Christ, having spent your life celebrating Christ and helping others to celebrate Him. So kids, don't worry if you don't get what you wanted for your next birthday. Don't worry if uh, you don't have the esteem of your peers. Don't worry if you are seen as being on the outside of your friend group that you would like to be on the inside of. Don't worry about that. Because here's the good news. And this applies to every single one of us today. The good news of Simeon and Anna is not that, uh, oh look, in Christ you can accomplish great things for God. You can have significance in your life by accomplishing great things for God, even if you don't accomplish great things in the world. That's not necessarily what's celebrated about Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna are commended not for what they accomplished, but for what they believed, what they were waiting for. The good news is, if you haven't accomplished great things, if you're, if you're getting older in life, if you're starting to see opportunities pass you by, like every time I see the lineup for a, a baseball team, I realize I'm too old to get into professional baseball. That's probably not a dream that's going to happen for me because I'm 30 and all these guys could be in, students in my class. So if you're seeing opportunities pass you by, you're watching yourself get older and think, I'm getting to where I'm probably not going to get around to doing that thing I really wanted to do. Good news is you don't have to accomplish great things for God. You don't have to be notable. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to build anything. Because the world's not about you. Your life is not about you. You're not the main character. It's okay if you are not the hero of your story. We call it a tragedy whenever we're reading a story and the main hero dies or gets defeated. We think of that as a bad story. But here's the thing. Your story, you're just a character in a much bigger story beyond your life. So if you don't accomplish what you meant to accomplish, if you've made mistakes, if you have wasted time, wasted opportunities, and things that you wanted to do have passed you by, here's the good news. That's fine. Christ is the victor. Christ is victorious. God is never going to be unseated from His throne. And you will forever enjoy Him and celebrate Him and worship Him. So now, believe God when He says to you, if you've not accomplished great things, if you've not done great things, if your life hasn't gone according to your plan that you had when you were in your youngenhood, that's okay. If you learn to enjoy your Maker, marvel at your majestic Lord, your giver of life, if you can marvel at that, you will never be disappointed when you find yourself to be the finite creature, the dependent needy one that the scriptures say you are. Kids, this is a good one for you too. It's good to be small. It's really okay to be small. Um, you're, you don't get punished for being small because it's okay to be small. It's okay to need your mom and dad to do things for you. It's okay to say, I need help because you're small. And you know what? That's how your mom and dad relate to God too. That's how big people relate to God. We're all small next to him. We all need from him and that's really okay. Simeon and Anna 
are not in the annals of faith history because they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and built an empire and accomplished great things and gathered a notable following. We actually never hear from them again. But they would say that's fine to be obscure, to not be known, because they treasured their Savior. They saw Christ. They held Him in their arms. And seeing Christ put everything else in perspective. If I have this, I may greet death in peace and reckon my life as worth living. What about when you get to be really, really old? You're not, you're not looking ahead to opportunities as uh, an older lady in my church used to say, I'm not even buying green bananas anymore. <laughs> when you get to that stage of life, the question you might have been afraid to ask for a long, long time starts to come up in your mind anymore, even more and more. What's the point? If you've ever sat with someone dying or wrestled with a terminal illness yourself, you know how often that question can come and how much of a dark night of the soul it can be. When you're not looking ahead to opportunities, you might not even be looking ahead to tomorrow. Guess what? We should all think about that because... Uh, young people, ask the old people around you, um, life is shorter than you think it is. So I would say to you, look to Christ as well. Look to Christ, not only because your life is short, but because you can have joy in every part of it through Christ. Like Simeon, you can anticipate death. You can, you can say, Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace now, because I've seen the Christ. I don't have comfort for you and to say, oh, look back on your life and all the legacy you will leave. That, that might be something you have. You might have a legacy. You might have grand littles to look back on, great grand littles who will remember you and sing songs about you and weep at your funeral. But you might not. And even those that do remember you, there will be a time where even they are not remembered. Just think back how many generations you can remember. Hopefully it's several. But there is a, so much of a sure place for you to put your hope today so that if you are getting to where you feel useless, you're getting to where uh, people aren't quite as scared of you as they used to be, getting to where you can't accomplish the things you used to do, and soon you might be in a place where you cannot do anything for yourself, and that is terrifying to you. You might see the, the calendar pages go by and think it's only a matter of time before, I mean, it's not going to get better. When that day comes, I would encourage you to look to Christ as well because there is a better promise held out for you than continued life. You can see Christ and worship every moment of the rest of your life. When all you can do for yourself is breathe, and even that is difficult. Every breath you take that sustains your life and you spend that life believing God will do what He said, that's what you were made for. You were not made to make stuff. You were not even made to do things for other people. We thank the Lord for older people who spend their whole lives serving others, but even that is not most fundamentally what you're made for. You are made to know your God 
and enjoy him forever, bringing him glory. That's why you exist. That's why you were put on this earth, and that's why you, will ne- you have a soul that will never die. That is your eternal occupation, is the enjoyment and honor of your maker. And you can do that if all you can do is breathe. You don't have to be able to stand up. You don't have to be able to take care of yourself. Just believe that God will do what he said he will do. And that will make your life worth living. That will make those breaths worth taking. And you can say with Simeon, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. And you can say with Anna, giving thanks to God and speaking of him to all who wait for his promises. You can be a source of such encouragement to those who come behind you because you've gone ahead and found Christ worth having. This is also good news for a church. You heard them sing just a moment ago, when steeples fall, the church will stand. Seems like a well-built enough building. I've been in several church buildings, and this is a beautiful one. It's been here for some time, and pray, Lord willing, it'll be here for some time after. But one day, none of us will be here. One day, this building will not be here. So many things that are temporary will pass away, but God's Word will never pass away. And so if you build your church on the Word of God, now that's a foundation to build on. Traditions can be helpful. There's a reason we do a lot of the things we do that our uh, mature fathers and mothers in the faith have handed down for us. Perhaps you learned to pray from a grandmother, or you learned a table blessing from your father, or you learned how to respond in maturity in your difficulties from someone you watched live a faithful life. That's a good tradition to hold on to. But where are you going to stand when you see yourself in a world where everything changes? In a world where you're really having to do hard things and make hard choices in your life together. There is no other foundation to stand other than that which has been laid, and that is a common confession in the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in the Scriptures. You read just a moment ago in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Lord distinguishes between those who are sustained by His Word and those who are trying to do their own thing. Not only is it good news that you're dependent upon God to give you everything you need, uh, it's actually bad news if you try not to live that way. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do not ever get to a point in life where you think that you do not need the words that come from the mouth of the Lord. That you've already heard enough, you already know enough, and so the words that come from your mouth are sufficient. Let's have fewer words from our mouths and more from God's Word. Let our words be few before Him. We can join our elder brother Simeon and our sister Anna in giving thanks to God and speaking to Him of all who wait for God to fulfill His promises. So, What are you waiting for? Think about that. What are you waiting for? What are you anticipating most? What is something you think you cannot live without? What is it that you want most in this life? What is it that's giving you comfort for the next? Look to Christ. Look to Him now. Do not wait to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not wait to believe what He said. Not only do you not know what tomorrow will bring, there is joy and peace and comfort offered to you now. Because like Simeon and Anna, we live between an already and a not yet. Simeon and Anna lived under the shadow 
of this uh, ceremony going on in the temple. Now we see more clearly that that ceremony was pointing to Jesus, the Son of God, who was born into the world to die the death that you deserved for your sin against God, and was raised from the dead three days later, and ascended to the right hand of his Father, and will come again in judgment. That's our salvation. That's the rock we stand on. That's a rock worth standing on. And if you build your life there, you'll never be disappointed. But we're also waiting for that coming judgment. Like Simeon and Anna, we have to have faith to believe that God will finish what he began. He's not done. And praise the Lord, God is not done with us. Amen? God is not finished with us. There's, he's still working on me, as the kid's song used to say. We're still growing. Our church is still growing. The gospel is still spreading to the ends of the world. And we have the privilege of believing God will finish what he started. Because Christ has come, it is as good as done. We can believe it. We can be changed by it and comforted by it today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sweet comfort from your word. That we don't have to wonder if our investment will appreciate We don't have to wonder if the building we're a part of will fall because we're living stones. We're living stones in your house held together by our confession of the gospel. We're built on a foundation that is your word revealed. And because you've said it, we can believe it is as good as done. So help us to believe in the face of death like Simeon. Help us to believe through a long, long life like Anna. Help us to believe when we are forgotten, when we're little known, like Mary and Joseph. People that have no claim to fame. Give us the faith to be content where you have placed us and to not have ambitions to uh, exceed our capacities. Give us joy simply to be sustained by your word and by your spirit every day as long as it is called today. In Jesus' name, amen.